me, Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy, your compassion, your goodness, and your love. I pray that you would move in our lives today and move in this worship. Be exalted, be high, and lifted up. I pray that the words of my mouth, the actions that I take, the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. We love you and pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible on your cell phone, copy like this, some other device, turn to Revelation chapter 3 as we go through this series on the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Today we're looking at the church in Philadelphia, Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. And this morning we're going to talk about opportunity. There was a professional art collector who was walking downtown one day. He happened to be passing by a store. He noticed in the storefront a mangy-looking cat drinking out of this little saucer. But the saucer caught his eye because, unknowns to the store owner, he thought, that he doesn't realize, but the cat is drinking out of a, a saucer, a work of art, really, that's worth thousands of dollars. And I need to get it. So he walks in the store nonchalantly and says to the store owner, Hey, I'll give you $20 for that cat. And the store owner says, Nope, not for sale. And so the art collector persists and says, You know, I could really use a cat like that at home. I got a little bit of a mouse problem. I'll give you $200 for that mangy-looking cat. And the store owner says, Sold. You got it. So uh, the art collector said, you know, since I'm getting your cat and he's already used to that little saucer, that little bowl, it would help me if I didn't have to stop and get another one and try to get him used to it. So for the $200, would you just throw that saucer in with the cat? And the store owner says, no, sir, not doing it. That's my lucky saucer. So far this year, I've sold 37 cats with that saucer. (laughs) Opportunity. We all have opportunities, big opportunities, small opportunities, financial opportunities, opportunities in relationships, opportunities with jobs. Today, we're going to look at opportunity. Here in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is speaking to a church in a city called Philadelphia. No, not the one in Pennsylvania, but one that is located in what is now modern-day Turkey. And if I could pick one word for Jesus' message here to the church at Philadelphia, it would be opportunity. Let's take a look, starting in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. The opening Jesus refers to here is a door of opportunity. We see the same thing in various places in the New Testament. For instance, in Acts 14, 27, Paul and Barnabas began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. In 1 Corinthians 16.9, Paul says a wide door for effective service has been opened to me. 
In 2 Corinthians 2.12, Paul says a door was opened for me and the Lord. In Colossians 4.3, Paul is praying that God will open a door to share the gospel of Christ. Opportunity. Opportunity to share your faith. Opportunity to follow Jesus. Opportunity to make a difference in your family. Opportunity to make a difference in your community. Opportunity to make a difference in this world. Our God is a God who opens up doors of opportunity. Amen? March the 10th and March the 17th, we are going to have opportunity to be trained in the three circles, turning everyday conversations into gospel conversations. And some of you may say, why do I need to be trained to share the gospel? I've been doing it for years. I understand. Two years ago, when I first heard about the three circles training, I thought, you know, it's a good thing, but I don't know how to share the gospel, so I don't think I'm going to worry about being trained in one more way to do it. After all, I've been to seminary, I've been to training classes for years and years, and it's like, I don't really need to do this. But I went out visiting with Daniel Duda actually one day, probably six months ago, and he was using the three circles. Like, that is cool. I want to learn that. And I would encourage you to be a part of that training, March the 10th and March 17th, a two-part training, to be a part of learning how to use the three circles in gospel conversations. Some of you may be saying, well, I would love to do it, but I don't really want to go out knocking on doors. You don't have to go out and knock on doors, okay? That'll be part of the training for those who want to do that. But you don't have to do that, though I think you would enjoy it more than you realize. It's not as bad as a root canal. But anyway, we just want you to be trained because you have friends, you have relatives, you have people that you work with who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is one of the clearest, most visual ways that I've ever seen it done. So I hope you'll be a part of that. But that's not the greatest opportunity you have. The greatest opportunity that you have is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that changes your life. Moment by moment and day by day. The greatest opportunity you have is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ that starts in this world. And one day you will be with him in heaven. Isn't that going to be an incredible opportunity? In a place where there's no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more troubles, no more trials, no more misunderstanding, all will be perfect there. Amen? How many of you want to go there? Okay, but not today, right? Both say, I'd like to go, but not right now. Okay? Unless Jesus returns, then we're all going, right? Amen? If we know Christ. The greatest opportunity in the world is to know Christ, but not just in heaven, but to walk with him moment by moment and day by day. Now, walking with Jesus doesn't mean that circumstances are always going to be easy. How many of you ever have problems? How many of you ever have trials? How many of you ever have struggles? How many of you ever have life doesn't make sense to you? Happens to all of us, does it not? Two hands for some of us, right? It's hard. It's confusing. It's difficult. Following Jesus does not mean you'll never have another headache or another heartache. Following Jesus means he'll go with you through the middle of them, and he'll give you the strength and the help and the hope that you need, whatever's going on in your life. Following Jesus means that whatever you're going through, you don't have to go through it alone. You see, we know if we're Christians 
the one who spoke the universe into existence. Isn't that amazing? We know the one who set the stars in space. We know the one who the Bible says knit you together in your mother's womb. We know the God who created everything and in him all things hold together. We know the God who knows everything, can do anything, and can be everywhere at the same time. Isn't that incredible? And he wants to hang out with you. He wants to have this love relationship with you that's changing your life moment by moment and day by day. He wants to give you a peace that passes all understanding. He wants to give you a joy unspeakable that's full of glory. He wants to give you a peace and a joy that do not depend upon the circumstances of your life. Because sometimes circumstances are not going to be good. Sometimes they'll be amazing. Sometimes they may seem horrible. Sometimes they're going to be confusing. But God is never confused. God is never up there in heaven saying, Now what in the world am I going to do now? This is too big for me. This is too hard for me. This is too challenging for me. No, it might be for you, but it's not for him. He has never met a problem that he said, that's just too big for me. I can't handle that one. No, we serve the God who's able to exceedingly, abundantly, immeasurably more than all you can ask or think or even imagine. Isn't that incredible? We know the God who is our refuge and strength. And ever-present help in time of trouble. How many of you ever been in trouble? God doesn't say, hey, you're in trouble now. I'm leaving. No, God says, you're in trouble. I'm right there with you in the middle of it. Isn't that good news? 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your care upon me. Upon God, because he cares for you. Jesus said, come unto me, all you labor and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek, I'm gentle, and lowly in heart. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. And we don't just know Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. We don't just know the King. We are the children of the King. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a child of the King. When you leave this building today, you don't simply leave as Jerry or John or Sally or Susie or Matilda or whatever your name is. You leave as Matilda, a child of the king. You leave as Joe, a child of the king. You live as Bubba, a child of the king. Whatever your name is, you are a child of the living God if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And that doesn't mean you got to get all puffed up about it. That just means you can walk in grace and mercy and love toward others and power in Jesus Christ. Forgive. And to share Jesus and be salt and light in a world that desperately needs to see him. Because Jesus Christ lives inside of you. We've got this inside track to the open doors. What truly matters in life. In John 10.10, Jesus says the thief, that's the devil, the enemy. He comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Listen, your neighbor is not the enemy. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're not the enemy. Sometimes you may look like the enemy. Sometimes you may feel like the enemy. Sometimes you may act like the enemy. But the Bible says your brother or sister in Christ, that's not your enemy. The Bible says we have an enemy. The Bible says in Ephesians that we do not 
struggle against flesh and blood, against spiritual forces of wickedness in an unseen world. We have an enemy called the devil, but praise God, he's not greater than our God. 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Do you believe that? I mean, do you really believe that? Know this also. It's not human ability that determines ultimate victory. It is the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? The Bible says some trust in chariots, some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. We're not trusting in our bank account. We're not trusting in our budget. We're not trusting in our talent. We're not trusting in our ability. We're trusting in Jesus Christ. Amen? The Bible says that same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead also dwells in you. Isn't that amazing? One Bible teacher put it like this. God's commandments are God's enablements. What's God calling you to do? Who's God calling you to forgive? What's God challenging you to step forward and say? Who is God calling you to share a gospel witness with today? What is God calling you to do? You don't have to simply do that in your own power. You do it through the power of Jesus Christ for his honor and his glory. But that doesn't mean following Jesus is easy. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes you will feel like quitting. Sometimes you're going to want to give up. But by the grace of God, you depend on him. Here's more good news. You know the Bible says when you're weak, God's strength is made perfect in the middle of your weakness. It's like, okay, God, I am super weak here. That's okay, God says, I can take over. I can do this. See, we're not living this Christian life in our own power. We live it by the power of Christ, to the glory of God. Amen? Life is not going to be easy. I would say this, though. I think you would agree. Wouldn't you rather walk with God through the circumstances than try to make it on your own without him? You were made for that, were you not? The Bible says you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. We have a piano over here, okay? This is probably the most expensive piece of furniture in the room, right? Probably the most expensive piece of furniture in the entire church. But how much good does a piano do if there's nobody there to play it? Not much good at all, right? But if somebody could walk over to this piano and sit on this bench... And just look at it and say, okay, I'm having a good time in church today. That wouldn't do you much good either, would it? But if somebody could sit down and play this piano.
Now, that's like middle school stuff, okay? But if somebody like Sheila sits down and plays that piano, it really makes a difference in this world, okay? You know what? We have the master pianist. We have the greatest pianist imaginable. We have Jesus Christ who wants to play his power, his grace, his glory through you. Amen? And yet so often what we do is we sit there and we allow ourselves to be a piano, but we will not let Jesus Christ live his life through his power, for his glory. Amen? Jesus says, I want to play through you. I want to live through you. I want to move through you for my honor and for my glory. That doesn't mean life's going to be easy. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes you are going to feel like quitting. But you stay in there with your God. Even though Jesus had given the church of Philadelphia open doors, they still had problems. In middle verse 8, Jesus says they had but little strength. In verse 9, he tells them that they're being opposed by those who are the synagogue of Satan. How many of you know that's not an easy place to be, especially when you feel weak and secure already? But 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Do you believe that? The one who lives inside of you is greater than any opposition outside of you. Do you believe that? He knows when your circumstances are difficult. Amen? He understands when life doesn't make sense. God knows everything. The Bible is filled with people who are victorious in spite of their problems. Think about it. Moses had a Red Sea. Daniel had a a lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a furnace of fire. Gideon faced an army of 135,000 Midianite soldiers with a measly little army of 300. Yet God gave them, and so many more in the Bible, victory over the enemy. Amen? But I also got to be honest with you. Sometimes people in the Bible, they didn't get the outward victory that everybody celebrates. Some people in the Bible died for their faith. Some people were martyred because they followed Jesus Christ. But that's okay, because they got a greater, ultimate victory. Because one day they would hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. You see, a hundred years from now for all of us, a whole lot less than that for some of us, it's not going to matter how much money you had in the bank. It's not going to matter how popular you were in the community. It's not going to matter how cool you thought you were or how big your house or how great your car or how many vacations you could take. What is ultimately going to matter is this. Did you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Did you follow him with your life? Was he your priority? Because Jesus Christ is greater than anyone or anything. And I'll take hearing Jesus Christ say, well done over anything anybody else could do for me, say about me, or do to me in this world. How about you? Amen?
Better to hear well done from Jesus than to hear applause from the masses. Amen? Amen. Now, where was I? I don't know what your battle is today. I don't know your struggle, your issue, your problem, your need, but I do know this. It's not greater than your God. You have a God who goes before you. Whatever you may face in this life. In verse 9, Jesus talks about Jews in Philadelphia who opposed the church. And he calls them the synagogue of Satan. We don't know how they were opposing the church. It likely included exclusion from the synagogue. and may have included false accusations. Revelation 12.10 calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. Here in Philadelphia, in the city whose very name means brotherly love, Satan is apparently using religious people to assist him in his accusation. Listen. It's not easy to serve Jesus when you're being opposed. It's hard enough dealing with apathy. But opposition, persecution, that's another ball game. And they were going through it like nothing that we experience in America today. Some people in the world do, but not us, thank God. Not yet. To these circumstances, Jesus gave the church three wonderful and encouraging promises. Promise number one. He, that's Jesus, he would take care of their enemies. Go to verse 9. Jesus says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and not, they're not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come down and bow before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Listen, one day God's going to right all the wrongs. God will heal all the hurts. God will fix all the problems. The Bible says one day God will wipe every tear from our eyes, and that's all going to be amazing. And I so look forward to that day. But in the meantime, I challenge all of us, starting with me, to live out Philippians chapter 2, beginning verse 3. Where the Apostle Paul says this, Don't do anything out of selfishness or empty conceit, but in humility of mind, consider others as more important than yourself. Don't merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. I believe James Dobson said one time, you've heard of James Dobson, famous psychologist many years ago, uh, said in those two verses, there is more wisdom than all the marriage manuals in the world. Think about it. Don't do anything out of selfishness or empty conceit. Start there, okay? I don't have to have my way. We live in a world that has to have their own way, do we not? I don't have to have my rights. No, I surrendered my rights when I died with Jesus Christ on the cross. The Bible says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I live by the power of Jesus Christ. Then he continues in verse 5. To say your attitude should be like the attitude of Jesus Christ. That even though he was God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. But he made himself a servant. Say servant with me. Servant. Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be the servant of all. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, it's not trying to see how many people you can be the boss of. It's how many people can I serve? How well can I serve people? And that's an area where we all need to grow. He said, your attitude should be like Jesus, who even though it was God... Fully God, yet became fully man. He humbled himself as a servant, even to the point of dying on the cross for our sins. Therefore, God has exalted him and given him a name 
that is above every name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isn't that good news? One day, everybody's going to know. But in the meantime, you keep on serving, you keep on loving, you keep on sharing Jesus Christ. God told the church of Philadelphia he would take care of their enemies, and he would spare them from a specific trial. Go to verse 10. Because you've kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Now, the immediate application here may have been to the Roman persecution, that they were going to be exempted from some of that. The ultimate application seems to be the Great Tribulation. Now, not all conservative Bible scholars agree, but I believe the church will be raptured out of this world before those seven years of great tribulation take place. God gave the church at Philadelphia a third promise that may be the simplest and the best. The promise is simply this. Jesus says he would return. In verse 11, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming soon. I am coming back for you, church. No one knows the day. No one knows the hour. But Jesus says, I am coming back. And when I come back, I'll heal all the hurts, and I'll bind up all the wounds, and I'll wipe away all the tears. When is Jesus coming back? To be honest, I don't know. You don't know either. None of us knows. Jesus said nobody knows the day or the hour. If anyone tells you they do know, they don't know. Okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, they don't know. They don't know. Okay? They don't know the day, hour, month, year, decade. They don't know, okay? All right? Now, if you grew up like I did, I won't tell you which decades because then you'll know I'm really old. Um, But we heard a lot in our churches about the the return of Christ, the second coming of Christ. And when I first started preaching, uh, I kept hearing about the return of Christ. And people say, you got to preach more about Bible prophecy and all those things and all this stuff. And after a while, it's like, okay, just stop. Every time there was a, now I'll get to this in just a second, okay? I'm not saying stop preaching about the return of Christ. Let's make that clear, okay? But every time there was an earthquake or every time something happened with Russia or something happened in the Middle East or something happens uh, somewhere else in the world, it's like, okay, Kevin, now this book says this symbol is that and that symbol is that and this symbol is that and that symbol is that. If you just read their books, you would know. Listen, we don't know all of those things for sure. What we do know is Jesus is coming back again, right? My bigger problem is is not so much in trying to to figure out all the details. That's great to study Bible prophecy. The biggest problem is some people spend their time studying Bible prophecy, but they don't spend their time being ready for the return of Christ. Does that make sense? I remember a, a member of my church Back in Missouri, in Fayette, Missouri, really, really nice guy, but he very, very seldom came to church. And he owned a gas station. He said, Kevin, I've been reading this book about the second coming of Christ. You've got to read it. This is incredible. And I'm thinking, why would you want Jesus to come back right now? You're not even living for him. Anyway, we've got to emphasize the return of Christ, but we don't know all the details concerning his return. But we do know is he is coming back again, and we need to be ready. We can learn from an old farmer 
They had a grandfather clock that went haywire and chimed 14 times at midnight. The old farmer jumped out of bed and said, Wake up, Nellie! It's later than it's ever been before! It's true. It's later than it's ever been before. Jesus Christ is coming back again. His return is closer now than it's ever been before. But here's the question. Not when is he coming, but are you ready for the return of Jesus Christ? Do you know that you know him? And if you know him, are you in love with him? Are you following him? Do you have neighbors? Do you have friends? Do you have co-workers who don't know Christ? Are you looking for ways to share the gospel with them? Don't just know about the return of Christ. Live in a way that you're ready for the return of Christ. Amen? Jesus continues, verse 11. He says, I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The word for crown here is Stephanus. This is the crown of life and victory. Jesus continues in verse 12. Him who overcomes, I'll make a pillar in the temple of my God. Think about a pillar. What do you think about? Permanence, strength, honor, dignity for those who truly know and love and follow Jesus Christ. Here's the good news. Nothing can separate you from his love. Amen? Jesus said, if you truly know me, no one can pluck you out of my hand. If you truly know Christ, you have your name written in the Lamb's book of life, never to be blotted out. If you truly know Christ, you have a permanent place in heaven. Verse 12 continues. Jesus says, never shall he go out of it again. Never again shall he leave it. And I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God. The new Jerusalem has come down from my God out of heaven in my own new name. Question, what does it mean to you when you put your name on something? How many of you have been to a church potluck dinner? All right. Anybody ever brought food to one of those? All right. We're Baptists, right? Yeah. Well, a lot of times when people bring food to a potluck dinner, uh, there's all these dishes that are kind of gathered together. What they'll do, if you bring a casserole dish, you, you put your name on it. Or if you have a crock pot, you might put your name on it. Or if you have a pie dish, you might put your name on it. Why would you do that? Because it's mine, right? When Jesus puts his name on it, he says, you're mine. You belong to me. When I was a kid, I played a lot of baseball. And one of the first things I would do when I got a baseball glove is I'd write my name on it. Why? Because that glove is mine. I don't want anybody taking my glove, right? If you're in school, you write a paper, you put your name on that paper because that paper belongs to you, right? Jesus puts his name on you because you belong to him. And nobody can steal you away from him. A person's name also speaks of his character. To those who truly know and love and follow Jesus, he gives us his character. He seeks to develop that inside of us moment by moment and day by day. 
Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He's transforming you as you surrender yourself to him increasingly more into the image of Jesus Christ. And as you allow that to happen in your life, and I allow that to happen in my life, and we allow that to happen in our lives as a church body, it is a beautiful thing. Because he can use us for his glory. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, or maybe you're a little bit unsure and you haven't nailed it down, there's no better time than now. To give your life to Jesus Christ. To place your faith in him. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You can be saved right here. Right now. You don't have to wait. Give your life to Jesus Christ right now. Would you pray with me? Father thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy and for your love. Thank you that Jesus Christ is coming back again. We celebrate that. We don't know when. We don't know all the details surrounding the how. But we know you're coming back again. And we want to be ready. So, Father, I pray that you will make people in this room ready. And for any of you who may not be ready, today's your day. You can say a simple prayer like this to Jesus. Jesus, I want to be ready. If that means giving your life to Jesus Christ, and you've never done that, then today is your day. Just be honest with Jesus. I want to be saved. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the dead. Give my life to you. For somebody else, it might be, yeah, I know Christ, but be really honest, I just kind of drifting along through life, and Jesus is calling you to follow him with all of your heart, because he loves you. Somebody else might be to join this church. Whatever God is saying to you, won't you say yes to him?